I am so excited to continue this series tonight. I want to share with y'all, today marks six months for me being here at Victory Life Church full time. I'm so excited. And now I can give you the report back. I've seen what goes on behind closed doors around this place. And I can tell you it's as beautiful behind closed doors as it is in these services. And in the foyer, our staff is precious. The people that make this happen, we're blessed to be a part of this house. The integrity, the love, and the, the genuine heart of Jesus that, that runs this place. It's beautiful. It's more beautiful behind scenes than it may even be out here sometimes. So I'm just thankful to be a part of it. And that Pastor Austin would have the audacity to allow me to speak three weeks in a row. This man has the gift of faith on him. If you've never seen the gift of faith in demonstration and you're believing for something in this season, he is your man. That's a gift of faith right there. But I'm excited. It's my first time to preach a series. And I shared with you last time, we're, we're looking at the Beatitudes, and I shared with y'all hangups I had about the Beatitudes and how this was a special uh, digging into the Beatitudes for me throughout this year because I just had some hangups. If you want to know what those were, you have to listen to last week. It's on YouTube. And we laid a little bit of a foundation last week that you can revisit. I'm not going to spend too much time reviewing those things. Um, we're just going to just keep on trucking. But if you are interested in any of those things, a lot of foundational things were laid last time. And we looked at the first beatitude. Tonight, we're picking up with the second one. And this series is called The Upside Down Kingdom, meaning God's kingdom is so different. It is so contrary to the kingdoms of this world. God's kingdom may as well be upside down compared to what we're seeing in the earth. And if you've been on Facebook, or I, I get my news from social media, but I know people out there actually listen to real news. Uh, well, real news. <laughs> but um, if you've seen anything in the news, it looks like in our world right now, in our nation especially, that the kingdom of darkness is making advances, that the kingdom's gaining territory. If you've paid any attention to what's going on in our education systems, in our political systems, in our economy, in the social atmosphere of our nation, it looks like the kingdom of darkness is gaining ground, gaining momentum, gaining territory. But I have this confidence, and I hope that you have the same confidence, that where evil abounds, grace does much more abound. And that there is a grace on this house, there is a grace on you to release the kingdom of God in the earth right now. And it's his kingdom that in the end will swallow up all of the kingdoms of this earth. And we get the high call and privilege of carrying that kingdom. We do. We hold this treasure in earthen vessel. Just little old us get to carry the kingdom of God. Woo. Y'all, makes me cry. It's awesome. What a privilege. Just like we saw tonight, the outpour of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell. And little old us, the very spirit that breathed creation into being, wants to dwell in little old us and see the whole world restored to God's original goodness. And we get to be a part of it. That's awesome. It's incredible. So... What I've seen in the Beatitudes and looking at them this year is an invitation for Jesus to, to begin to see what Holy Spirit is doing on the inside of us as we are discipled. 
The Beatitudes are not a lot of behaviors that we mimic. Jesus is pointing to what Holy Spirit is doing as we just walk in relationship with Jesus. You don't have to behave a certain way. Your behaviors will change if you just walk with Jesus. And so what all he's showing us is this is what Holy Spirit is cultivating on the inside of you as you simply walk with me. This is what Holy Spirit is doing because ultimately the kingdom for every individual that belongs to the body of Christ, the kingdom has to be made manifest right here under your chin and right here behind your eyeballs. The kingdom has to be made manifest in those two places. And it's from those two places that we see the kingdom made manifest in our lives. But Holy Spirit's role is to see the kingdom made manifest right here in you. Everybody, put your hand on your chest. Kingdom right there. Put your hand on your head. Kingdom right here. That's Holy Spirit's aim. Every day I'm going to lead them into all truth. I am going to transform them into the likeness of Christ. That is his role. And we get to partner with him. And so it's like in the Beatitudes, Christ is making us aware of what Holy Spirit is doing. And now that we're aware with it, aware of it, we can cooperate with him. We can cooperate with what Holy Spirit is doing. It's not works that we try to act out in and of ourselves because we can't. Remember, we talked about last week, the kingdom is spiritual. It's not natural. So I can't work my way into manifesting the kingdom. I can't behave my way into it. It's not how it works. I pursue relationship with Jesus. That's so simple. <laughs> and I think that sometimes it's too simple and we just don't like that answer. Like, no, can I, can I rush this along? Is there a faster process? But no, it's just day in and day out relationship with Jesus. Showing up to times of prayer and communion with him. Opening up the word. Spending time with Jesus. And in that day in and day out relationship with Jesus and with the community of God, we are transformed into the likeness of his dear son. Andrew Walmack calls that effortless change. Because all you're doing is showing up to relationship with God and relationship with his church, relationship with Holy Spirit. You just show up to relationship and you are transformed from the inside out. Amen? That's, that excites me. So that's what we're looking at in the Beatitudes is what Holy Spirit is doing with us. And we get to partner with him in it. It's not behaviors that we mimic. These are not natural things, behaviors or circumstances. We're looking at the supernatural work that Holy Spirit is doing that Christ is revealing in the Beatitudes, the opening part of the Sermon on the Mount. So tonight, we're going to pick up with this second beatitude. And I'm kind of stalling because this second one is a heavy hitter. It's just, if we can get through this, this second one, number two, the second beatitude, then it's just smooth sailing. But communicating this one, for me, um, pr preparation, I felt like this was a challenge just because of, of this scripture and our relationship with it. It is. Let's just get into it, Jesus. Here we go. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for giving me utterance and just put a watch on my tongue. Help me to communicate with clarity, Father. And may the word that goes forth may it accomplish what you release it to do and bear much fruit in Jesus' name. So the second beatitude is blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. There's been a lot of mourning in this house in this season. In the past couple of years, we have experienced a lot of mourning as a people, a lot of individual mourning. I lost both my, two my grandparents this year, and I know there's been a lot of loss in our house. I want to propose to you that this beatitude, the blessed 
who are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That it's pointing to more than just our individual grief and our individual loss. That doesn't mean that God does not comfort us when we mourn. Oh, he absolutely comforts us when we mourn. I know that he does. I've been brokenhearted. I've had many a loss, and I know that he is near the brokenhearted. The Lord is, there's a scripture that he even collects the tears of the saints. There's nothing, no grief that gets by our Father. He absolutely comforts those who mourn, and I'm thankful that he does. But I believe that this beatitude is pointing to something deeper than that. And I want to propose that Christ is pointing us toward the Father's grief. That there is a point in relationship where the Lord so transplants his heart in you that you have a heart that is broken for what he has a heart that is broken for. Y'all remember that old song we used to sing? There was a lyric that said, break my heart for what breaks yours. I want to share with y'all, uh, several years ago now, this is something I've been aware of because that, that, that the father grieves, that the father mourns. I know that that can be a, a mind-flipping concept for the body of Christ because, because in our natural thinking, a lot of times we think that grief is a problem. We think that some of us think, they think grief is a sin. It's a problem. I got to get out of this. They think it's a sign of weakness. When our father grieves... He himself grieves. The emotion of grief is not a problem. We're actually created in the image of a God who knows how to grieve. And he grieves in perfection. He grieves without sin. He grieves and it's not a problem. So we actually, in his nature, this, we have this father that experiences a wide range of emotion and grief and mourning is one of them. Um, the father really brought this to my attention a few years ago. I was praying one day, I was talking to him in bed, and I had a vision. And in this vision, I was walking with Jesus. We were in this room, and this room had many doors off of it, and he took me into one of the smaller rooms, into this chamber. And I walk into this chamber, and it just felt really heavy in that room. It wasn't like dark or demonic kind of heaviness. It just felt heavy. It felt holy, but it felt heavy. And I asked Jesus in this vision, what is this place? And his response was, not many people go here. This is the father's grief. The father's grief. And it struck me when he said, not many people go here, is that in the body of Christ, we as believers, we don't quite understand how to engage with the father's heart and with the father's grief. But I believe there's an invitation on this beatitude that if we will begin to partner with Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work Abba's heart into our heart, that it is there that the power of resurrection life rests. And I want to bring that out in scripture, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit is continually discipling, discipling us to put Father's heart in us. Because you see, the father, the source of his grief, is he made something absolutely beautiful, this world and everything in it. And almost immediately, it was thwarted into darkness and death. And that grieves the father. Every time one of his babies hurts, it grieves his heart. Every time you experience pain, it grieves him. And even though our father is already at the end, 
He sees your end from the beginning. He's already there. He's already in the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus has already set into motion the restoration of all things back to the Father. But yet, even though he's there at the end, he's here with us in the present. And because he's a good dad, he grieves with us and he hurts with us. You know, I never understood love like that until I became a mama. And it was intensified last year. So this last year, I um, had my second daughter, and it was a rough pregnancy, y'all. It was rough. I was sick all the time. I just, I, her name is Benny Joy. My daughter's name is Benny Joy. And I spoke that she is the joy set before me. If I can endure this pregnancy, I'm going to get this beautiful reward at the end of it. Because I was just, I was sick as a dog like, every day. Like, Lord, bless me. I will, please don't let the next one be that way. But, um, so, I, you know, I have her June 25th. June 25th, I have my baby girl, and she's being taken away. She's taken, and um, they're doing all the checkups and stuff. And I knew there were some issues with her blood work. And, and so I was already a little bit nervous. And then I get a call. It's just me and Tucker. We're in our, in our room. The doctor calls, and they're like, we can't bring her back. She's got to go to the NICU. And they're talking to me, and it's like, you know, they're talking, and it's just like, wah, 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 wah. Like, you just stop listening. Like, because all I knew is her blood was irregular. She was having some, some sugar issues, balancing out her sugar. And my first, my initial thought was, um, oh, my gosh, if this sugar doesn't regulate, organ failure. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, this, this could lead to more serious things. I'm not a medical person. I don't know the first thing about nothing to do with our bodies. All I know is my baby can't come back to me. She's going to the NICU. And as the doctor's speaking these words and I hang up the phone, I remember my head going back. My husband's right beside me. And I felt like someone took my heart and just crushed it. And I cried out, but no sound came out of my mouth for the longest time. And then finally, I just burst into tears. I never felt pain like that. There's something about being a parent. And, you know, one day in the NICU turned into two to three to nine days in this NICU. And she's, this is a pandemic baby, y'all. What the internet lovingly calls pandemic babies. If you're born, anybody heard the jokes about pandemic babies? Babies that were born during covid they're bionic babies. They're not scared of vacuums. They're not scared of you. They are pandemic babies. And that's what I got. I got a pandemic baby. But because she was born during the time of COVID, I, you know, there's restrictions. I can't hold her all the time. I have to leave her every day. And that is not okay for this mama leaving my, my baby. Y'all want to keep my baby? No. <laughs> that I would go home for after leaving her in the hospital, and I would just bawl. I would just cry for a solid, like, 30 minutes to an hour, and then I would go to bed because I was just heartbroken. That is how the Father loves us, and that is how he feels when we grieve. And there's people who wonder if he even cares when we hurt. They wonder if he even did it. A lot of people wonder, God did this. You know, why would he do this? And he's not like that. God's a good father. He's a good mother. He's all of it. He's the whole shebang. He loves us with the love of a parent. And there's something about that parental love. When your child hurts, you feel their pain and you feel your own pain. And it's like the pain is multiplied on the inside of you. And that's what the father feels every time you hurt. 
He feels your pain intimately, intimately aware of everything that you experience. And Jesus, this is something Jesus was well aware of. Jesus was the heart of the Father made flesh, walking around with arms and legs. He had Father's exact heart toward all of humanity. He loved us with the Father's love when he was on the earth. When you see him in his earthly ministry, he is operating in the Father's love at all times. And that's why over and over in the gospel, you see this phrase that he was moved with compassion. Every time he went to lay hands on someone, it was because he was moved with a compassion because the father had transplanted his heart into the heart of his son. So his heart beat with the same love for us as the father. I think that's so beautiful. In Ezekiel 36, 26, there's this ongoing theme. You see this throughout the Old Testament, that there is this desire of the father to give us his heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. I want to give you my heart. You know how uh, Pastor Zach a couple weeks ago joked about going into Walmart and you pray like, God, don't let nobody talk to me here in this Walmart. I have prayed that prayer. Anybody like, Lord, I just want to get my groceries and get out of here. Oh, Walmart. It comes up every time. Walmart. It's the mission field. We've got to remember, Walmart is our mission field. If you aren't called to Africa, you're called to Walmart. But um, that's... What is that when we pray that, God, don't let anybody talk to me in this Walmart? That's wanting to harden my heart. I don't want to hear. I don't want to be moved with compassion today. I just want to get my groceries and go home. But the more time we spend in the presence of Jesus, the more time we spend in prayer, you won't won't be able to help it. You will be compelled to speak life over the broken. You will be compelled to go and pray for the sick. You will be compelled beyond uh, ability to just, just dismiss the Holy Spirit. The more we are discipled in Christ and the more we spend time in his presence, the more of his heart we will beat with everywhere that we go. And we, will, we too will be moved with the same compassion that Christ was moved with. Now, this is the cool part. This to me is so cool. So it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Everybody say comforted. Comforted. Who's the comforter? The Holy Spirit. So I get this picture. As I am moved with compassion to reach out my hand and to love on somebody, the Holy Spirit comes around you like a bear hug. As you move and you lay hands on someone, as you move and you want to pray with someone, or you begin to interact with somebody in Walmart, get this picture of Holy Spirit coming around you to comfort you like a bear hug in the form of the anointing to minister comfort not only to you, but through you to the people that you are laying your hands on, to the people that you are talking to. He comes upon you to minister comfort through you. Jesus 
quoted this in the temple out of Isaiah. He understood the anointing moving upon him for the sake of others. In Isaiah 61.1 that Jesus quotes, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Get a picture of Holy Spirit giving you a bear hug when you go to minister to somebody. He's upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is the picture of the anointing. He's anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So as we are moved with compassion, with the heart of the Father, and we extend our life, we give our time, we reach out our hands, In being moved with that compassion, Holy Spirit comes around us to comfort us and to minister comfort through us, to see the person in front of us restored to the goodness of God. See, the Holy Spirit is in you for you. We had some people that were filled with the Holy Spirit tonight. He's in us for us to lead us into all truth, to transform us, but he's upon us for the sake of others. The anointing is not for us. The anointing is for others. And we as the church, we want to see anybody. I don't want to set y'all up, but I'm going to set you up. Anybody want to see signs and wonders and miracles in this house, in this city? We all want that. But with signs and wonders and miracles comes allowing God to give us his heart. The compassion always precedes the power. If you want the power, you have to allow him to give you his heart, to give you the compassion. They always went hand in hand. Jesus didn't move apart from compassion. Compassion was always present. The love and the heart of the Father to see a person restored. I don't just want to see God do magic tricks for me. I want to see this person's life restored to God's original goodness. So the compassion goes with the power. He doesn't give power and authority to people who are not his lovers. We have to learn how to be the lovers of God and to receive the same heart as the Father. And the more that we are trained up in the heart of the Father, the more we will extend our hand and we will see the kingdom of God invade on this earth. We will see healings. We will see miracles, but it takes sitting with God and letting him put his heart of flesh in the place of that heart of stone so that we might be moved with compassion. Amen. Is that good? Amen. So say (laughs) law. We're going to go to number three. So we're switching gears. Number three is Blessed are the meek. I'm going to give us a minute. (laughs) Blessed are the meek. I like this word, meek. When I was a teenager, I, um, you know, I didn't grow up with my father present. It was me and mom most of the time, buddies till the end. Um, But, you know, so I didn't have a lot of guidance as to husband, all that, what that's going to look like. And so the Lord, I really leaned on the Lord. You're going to have to help me out because I don't know what this looks like. And at a very young age, he told me two things. He told me a lot of things, but these two things came to my mind tonight. He told me two things. Your husband has to have these two things. And he's like, let me instruct you, daughter. Your husband, these two things. He can do all these other things, but this right here is very important for you. You are going to need a husband who has these two traits. 
And the first one was that he's hardworking. He puts his hand to something and he knows how to get work done. That was just going to be important for my life and my personality is that I had a husband that knew how to work hard. And the second thing you told me that I didn't quite understand at this age was that my husband needed to be meek. You need a meek husband. You're not going to be able to make it if your husband's not meek hearted. Well, my husband is absolutely meek. He's the definition of meek. Um, The way we define meekness is strength under control. My husband's a very quiet man. He's very reserved. He does not have, he's not, I can talk about him because he's not here. This would embarrass him big time if he was here. But he, he does not need to be acknowledged when he walks in the room. He'd probably prefer that you didn't. He doesn't, need to, he doesn't have a desire to impress anybody. He's not trying to show anything to anybody. He just, his main concern in life, truly, my husband's main concern in life is taking care of me and our daughters. That is the focus of his heart. He is a definition meek man, strength under control. And I'm so thankful. That's a blessing, y'all. If you're not married yet, pray for a meek man, ladies. But um, that's natural meekness. That's strength under control. That's what natural meekness is. But Jesus is pointing to something beyond personality. He's pointing to something beyond behavior. So what is he looking at? Something that I want to propose is that this meekness has to do with a submissiveness to Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about in number one, when we talked about, um, oh Lord, what was it? What's the first beatitude, y'all? Blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about utter dependency. That's dependency in all things living a life of surrender in all things, good, bad, and ugly, where I'm no longer known after my flesh. I I died. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives. That is the utter dependency. That's being poor in spirit. Being meek has to do with surrendering your strengths, surrendering the call of God on your life, surrendering those talents that he wants to use in the earth, surrendering your anointing, to the Holy Spirit. It's submitting your strength to him. Um, My daughter is in kindergarten. So she's in kindergarten now and she has to ride the school bus. And so I learned something new about the school bus actually from Pastor Tyler. Um, I did not know this, but that school buses, because of what they carry, precious treasure, that a school bus has a governor on it. Everybody know what that is? I did not know what that was. (laughs) A governor that limits how fast the bus can move. That vehicle is capable of going 90 plus miles an hour, just flying down the highway. But because of what it holds, what it carries, it has this governor placed on it that limits it. So when it's going downhill, when it's going down the highway, it can only go 55 miles per hour, 60 miles per hour. That governor brings the strength of that bus under control. And that is what Holy Spirit does in our lives. We submit to the Holy Spirit as a governor. I could take my anointing. I could take my gifts. I could take whatever, my skill set, whatever you're called to do, you could take it and you could run with it. And you might even be able to sustain that for a few decades, but eventually you are going to burn out if you don't come under the governance 
of the Holy Spirit and allow him to dictate your pace, to tell you what to say yes to, to tell you what to say no to. It's a submitting to his way of doing things, yielding the strength of your being, your anointing, your calling, your gifts, your skill set, lending them to the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, you're in control of how I walk out this calling. You are in control of how I walk out this anointing. Amen. Um, I want to, there is an example, Jesus. We've got a good example. Matthew 26, 52 through 54. Jesus is about to be arrested. And, you know, this Peter, Peter pulls out this sword. He's getting crazy. I love a Peter. Everybody needs a Peter in their life. He's getting crazy. And Jesus says this. He says to them, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. But how then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? He's saying, I have the power, I have the ability to right now call legions of angels, but I am submitted to the governance of the Holy Spirit and to the word of God. And it must play out like this. It has to happen this way. Even Christ was submitted to the governance of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit. This man, God made flesh, who was capable of calling legions of angels, submitted all of his strength, all of his anointing to the Holy Spirit. And that's the model for us. That's what we are called to do, to bring our anointing, to bring your skill set, your call, your dreams under the governance of the Holy Spirit, to ask him, what is this supposed to look like? What's your timeline? His timelines are always different than ours. I don't like his timelines, but that's a part of submitting to Jesus, <laughs> whatever it looks like. Actually, now that I'm older, I'm thankful that things take a long time. I'm thankful that it gives me space. I'm thankful that it gives me years to mess up and figure things out. I'm thankful. I like a longer timeline now. And, but in the end, we can't even be concerned about the time. You can't be worried about how many years this or that is going to take. Christ changed the whole world in three years. Time is not an issue with the Lord. He can achieve in you in a week something that will just make your, it just bring your, cinch up your whole life. Time is not an issue with the Father. But what is an issue is us submitting to his timeline and his way of doing things. We come under the governance of the Holy Spirit. And why this is so cool is because we see in this picture a restoration of the dominion that Adam had. See, Adam was given an assignment and he was given this role to take dominion over the earth. But we all know how that went, how that played out. It didn't go very well and he actually lost dominion. When God, when Jesus says in the scripture, um, the meek inherit the earth. He's saying, if you will learn how to come under submission to the spirit, I will give you the earth back. I will give you 
what Adam lost back, the dominion that Adam lost, the authority that Adam lost. I want to train you up in how to walk in dominion in the earth, how to steward this massive inheritance that we have been given in Christ Jesus. If you want to steward this massive inheritance that we have been given through Christ Jesus, that you don't have to earn, it's freely given, but you can be trained up in how to steward it by coming under the governance of Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's see, I got one more there. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. It says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Those words were spoken for generations. In the Old Testament, that was the prayer. What's it called? The Shemuel, 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 yeah, what he said. Um, <laughs> That prayer was prayed for generations. Jesus, uh, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And not one of the human beings on the earth could do that. They prayed it all the time, but it was impossible to do. They couldn't love him with all their heart. They couldn't love him with all their soul. And they couldn't love him with all their mind or with all their strength. But we have the Holy Spirit. And we have this finished work of Christ Christ was the only one in existence who could love the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, with everything that he was. And now we get to step into what he accomplished. And now by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love God with all of our strength. With all of the strength of who he has made us to be, we can actually give it back to him. And that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So number four, this is the fourth beatitude. It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we're going to wrap up with this. We won't spend as much time on this one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, I feel like this is a concept that this house is pretty well saturated. And y'all remember uh, a couple years ago with uh, Pastor Mark Carrillo's fajitas? Anybody remember Pastor Mark's fajitas? We did series on hunger and how to cultivate hunger, how to cultivate a thirst and a hunger for the presence of God. And what this is pointing to has to do with our appetites and allowing the Holy Spirit, as we're being discipled, Holy Spirit is transforming our appetites, our desires, the desires of our heart. Um, Anybody like, I don't know, like you had hangups, let's say you had some hangups back in the day. And um, like, we'll just take an example, like you had a potty mouth. Let's say you, you always had a potty mouth and that's just the way it was, but then you, you spent more and more time with the Lord and, and gradually you realize, you notice, oh, my speech has changed a lot. I don't have that same potty mouth I used to have. But then you stomp your toe one day and one of those words just flies out of your mouth and you can't catch it. But you notice, man, that doesn't really suit me anymore. That doesn't really sound like me anymore. What happened? I'm so different than I used to be. Our appetites change the longer we spend time with Jesus. We will find those things that once satisfied us no longer satisfy us. As we walk with him, we don't have to worry about changing our appetites. We only have to focus on walking with Jesus. And our appetites will come into alignment with relationship with him. And we will begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We will begin to hunger and to thirst for 
for what Christ hungers and thirsts for. Our behaviors, our natural appetites will come into alignment with the heart of the Father. I've seen this in my relationship with my husband. Y'all, I had like a five-year-old's appetite before I met my husband, like a five-year-old's palate. I like everything as plain as possible. You can maybe put some ketchup on it, but no veggies, nothing colorful. Just keep it simple. But I've been married to my husband now. I've been with him for nine years, married eight. And I've noticed over the years, like I find myself eating onions and tomatoes, things I swore I would never eat. because he feeds me. He cooks a lot and he takes us, he picks the restaurants. And so I found my appetite has changed simply by being married to this man for eight years. I wasn't setting out to like onions, y'all. I don't like tomatoes. I don't like vegetables. I wasn't setting out for that, but I, I was changed as I have been married to this man and allowed him to pick what we eat and allowed him to feed me Anybody, can we let Holy Spirit begin to pick what we eat and allow the Holy Spirit to feed us? That happens in relationship with Him. Um, I want to give y'all a secret. We're going to wrap up with this here pretty soon. But the secret to transforming our appetites, the secret, if you want to help progress uh, the process, help it move along. This is a secret to changing our appetites. It comes from Psalm 34, 8. I got this water a minute ago. I never drank it. Anyway, I'm going to get it now. I got an appetite for some water. Psalm 34, 8. Let me take a drink. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. See, the secret is in the kingdom, the tasting precedes the seeing. We have to taste of some things in order to see. That's like how, you know, the word, you know, anybody ever, anybody ever had hangups about not wanting to read their word? It's okay. I will raise both hands. No shame. There have been times I'm like, this is boring. Lord, this is so boring. You're fun, but this is not. (laughs) But I, I discipline myself. This is where spiritual disciplines come into play and they're not works. It's partnering with the Holy Spirit to allow him to change our appetites. We don't do this out of a works mentality. We do this out of submitting to the Spirit of God. I would spend time in my word. And as revelation starts going off to you, it's like, oh, this is fun. And you get a taste for the word. It's the same as when you're exposed to healthy churches that know how to demonstrate a move of the Holy Spirit. Once you get a taste of that, you're like, oh, that's good. I see the goodness of God in that. I want more of that. And it begins to shift our appetites. But we have to recognize that we have to taste of it. You have to read your word. You're going to have to do it before you like it. You're going to have to do it before it's fun. When you're really, really tired and you don't feel like engaging in worship, that's the time to engage in worship. Do it before you want to. And if you will show up in that place, the Holy Spirit will show up with you and he will reveal to you, ah, this is good. And the enemy knows this. He knows that if I can just keep them from tasting, if I can just keep them from an experience, if I can just keep them from cracking open that word, because if they taste it, I cannot stop them. But if I can keep them from tasting, then I can keep them broke and I can keep them sick and I can keep them depressed. I just want to keep them from tasting what God has for them because then they'll know that it's good and then I won't be able to keep them away from it. This is a 
secret to engaging in the kingdom. You do it before it feels good. You do it before you like it. And as you begin to engage with the things of God, as you get to know the Holy Spirit who's freaked you out for the last 30 years, like I don't know about him, but as you get to know the real Holy Spirit, not all the crazy demonstrations of the Holy Spirit that you saw or where he was abused, but the true Holy Spirit, as you get to know him and taste and see that he is good, you will never want for anything else. It says that you will be satisfied or you will be filled Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied and you won't want for anything else. So I just, I'm like, Lord, lay out the feast. Let me taste this. I want to taste that. I want to taste joy. I want to taste peace. I want to taste relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want to taste healing. I want to taste resurrection life. I want to taste of all of it, Father. I want to taste reading my word. I want to taste prayer and meditation. Every good thing that you've got for me, I want to taste it because I know once I taste it, I will see that you are good and that you are satisfied. Amen. Amen. Amen.